Real life. Superpowers. We are already in this mindset that we're actually going to sell the company. Three months later, we went to the board. We told them, like, you know, we're going to shut down the company. We feel like we will not be able to recover from the situation that we are right now at, even if we raise more money. And we think that the best decision is actually to shut the company down. Welcome to another episode of the Real Life Superpowers podcast, the show that brings you closer to individuals who, through hard work, innovation, and vulnerability, redefine the term superpowers in our 21st century context. I'm Noah Eshed, co-hosting here with Renan Menipaz. In today's episode, we're traveling to the crossroads of cybersecurity and blockchain technology, where our guest has been a prominent figure and an influential force. Our guest is Idan Ofrat, CPO and co-founder of Fireblocks, a groundbreaking platform dedicated to securing digital assets. When it comes to defending the cyber frontiers, Idan's track record speaks for itself. Prior to Fireblocks, Idan was a key player at C4 Security. He's also an expert in decentralized technologies. He was the co-founder and CTO at Yeloha, a disruptive platform aiming to decentralize energy trading, as well as VP of products at Orbs, a public blockchain designed for high-scale apps. Today, We delve into his story. So join us in welcoming Idan to the show. Real Life Superpowers Up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. It's alive! Real Life Superpowers Idan, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Hey, Idan. Hey, hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Where are you located? I'm uh, based uh, now in uh, Tel Aviv. Our office is in uh, Tel Aviv. And what's that office? What do you do these days? What are you focusing on? Um, on my professional life, uh, Firebox. Uh, we're uh, focusing on uh, growing the company, uh, the business, uh, scaling, And also entering uh, a lot of uh, new, exciting, uh, emerging uh, use cases and uh, new markets, uh, traditional finance, payments, and non-financial uh, use cases of, of uh, the blockchain, uh, things like gaming, um, consumer brands, mintic NFTs, and so on. Uh, and I have a personal life, uh, not uh, much time for my personal life, but I have uh, three kids. Um, the oldest one is nine years old, uh, and I have... Uh, two young ones. Uh, one is uh, three and a half years old and the other is two and a half years old. And actually, both of them uh, got born uh, during the hyper growth of uh, Firebox. And so side by side with uh, growing the company, it was also uh, you know, raising uh, small kids. And uh, now for the first time, uh, like the sleepless nights of uh, um, waking up to crying babies and changing diapers are finally behind me. So it's much more fun now and much more time with them. It's really great to see them uh, growing. And do you feel like um, the fact that this isn't your first rodeo and you we, we can basically say you're a serial entrepreneur so is that helping you in a sense to uh, navigate the challenges of uh, of being a parent to toddlers and being an entrepreneur and having to lead uh, in a sense both at home uh, because as uh, Renan is always talking about how when you have kids you're sort of a leader also at home because you have to suddenly be that person they look up to um, and then there's the leadership that you have to uh, to convey at work so is, is it helpful that you're experienced yeah it's 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 helpful uh, I think that uh, one of the things that uh, you find out actually when uh, 
when you need to kind of juggle uh, parenthood and, uh, and entrepreneurship is that it's it's like highways right that uh, you know don't, don't matter you know how, how many lanes you have eventually kind of uh, there is there there is a kind of a certain uh, um, uh, amount of of, of uh, time or, or resources that uh, that uh, that you have and somehow you you manage to kind of uh, uh, juggle them right so it's not like if I had more time, I, I would probably do it uh, better. And I think that parenthood really allows you uh, to manage your time better. And the fact that it's not the first time, both in my entrepreneurial life and the, the fact that they, I'm not a parent for the first time, right? I cannot already have an older kid uh, really helps me uh, in this aspect. Um, I, 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 I'm trying not to do the, the same mistakes uh, uh, twice. So, uh, you know, uh, growing uh, kids, uh, kind of, uh, one kid and then another kid and, and, and then another kid, I think helps me kind of uh, at least not uh, repeat the same uh, mistakes that uh, I did before. And same same applies for uh, my company. As, as an independent entrepreneur, okay, you can do whatever you want, you know, but how do you explain to like um, the time management to like your kids or even your work as an example saying, okay, we're guys, I have to go to my kids Okay. Oh, he's never in the meetings or opposite, you know, dad, can't you take a break and be with us today? And you say, I have to go to work or like, how do you manage that? Because you always have to say no to everybody. So you're disappointing. Yeah. I think that I got used to disappointing a lot of people over the last few years of telling them that I don't have enough time, right? It's something that you kind of, you need to change your mindset and acknowledge the fact that you have limited time. And if you have more things that uh, you need to, uh, as I said, uh, juggle uh, between, uh, eventually you need to give up something. I think that uh, one of the things that uh, I uh, probably gave up more are things like uh, friends that I uh, meet probably less than uh, than before. Uh, going back to your comment, by the way, the leader uh, uh, home is, is actually my wife, is more my partner in life. Like, you know, she has more time for the kids. This is kind of an unwritten agreement between us uh, since uh, started Firebox that she is the one more focused uh, on, on on the kids. Although she also has uh, her own career, uh, she knows that uh, I have less time. It's not that just about, by the way, the amount of time that I need to devote to to the company, but also the fact that we are now a global company, so I need to also uh, be available in. Uh, uh, other uh, time zones, so I have meetings uh, during evenings, and my kids uh, know that it's not that they, they always uh, they are always happy with that, but they know that uh, daddy has a, a customer meeting. My my, uh, my my girl knows I cannot fix. Since I think she's three years old, uh, that there is a, a thing called the customer call. Uh, daddy now has a customer call. I need to be in another room and uh, not uh, bother him. Uh, so this is uh, kind of how we manage our life for for the last few years, and I think that over time you learn how to uh, to manage everything uh, together. Uh, so one of the things that I'm doing is, uh, for instance, is to have a certain slot just for my kids, where uh, uh, people know that uh, they can't uh, interrupt me, and, and vice versa. Like you know, I have time for work, and then is this time I'm very focused on work, and uh, I, I don't uh, get uh, all the kind of uh, family issues to interrupt in uh, this way. In a sense, like your wife is like your co-founder of the family. Uh, and I would yeah. say also that the kids are looking up to both of you because they uh, like it or not, you're both uh, leading uh, in their eyes. Would you advise your kids to become entrepreneurs? Wow, that's a, that's, that's a great question. Actually, I've, I haven't, uh, I've never thought of that. Like, you know, if, uh, if it's something that I uh, would uh, recommend uh, 
or not. I think that the best advice that I have for my kids, and this is something that also my parents told me, is to really follow uh, what you believe in and uh, just be whatever you want, right? It's uh, not about uh, being an entrepreneur or not. I would give them all the kind of all the warning signs of what it means to be an entrepreneur uh, based on my experience. Uh, there are uh, upsides, but there are also uh, downsides, right? There are uh, cons and pros uh, to, to everything. And I would tell them that it's hard, right? It's hard to be an entrepreneur. Uh, you might find yourself uh, very likely failing uh, and, and, and it's not for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone. And they need to ask themselves if it's the right thing for them. And it's, it's not the right thing for most people. So there is a very good chance that it's, it won't be the right thing for them as well. How do you check? How do you know if it's the right thing for you or not? Uh, w- one way to do it is to just try, right? And see if, it's, uh, if, if it fits you or not. Uh, uh, I think that uh, one of the things that I uh, tell people, like uh, there are people coming to me with ideas and then they ask me about my uh, entrepreneurial life and, uh, and, and then they ask me, like, you know, should I be an entrepreneur? Uh, actually, a good friend of mine uh, came to me a few months ago. He was uh, employed, like, you know, he was an employee. He was never an entrepreneur. He's now almost 40 years old. And he asked me, should I be an entrepreneur? And I told him, look, you know, it's really uh, something that you need to decide for yourself. But I can tell you my journey. It's just one data point. And I advise you to just uh, ask as many people as possible uh, and, and see if it's something that uh, fits you. But I think that the most important uh, question that you need to ask yourself is why? Why do you want to be an entrepreneur in the first place? For me, it was a... Uh, Kind of more intuitive, and I, I was I wasn't a entrepreneur when I got born, and even like you know when when I finished my military service, and my first job wasn't as an entrepreneur. I was an employee for another company, and while working for for this company, I realized that actually what I want to do is to build my own stuff, and this is kind of the journey that I went through. So. Um, everyone should ask himself, you know, what, what, what do I need to be and, and whether entrepreneurship uh, is, is suitable for me or not. What was it about being an employee that triggered that need of yours to build something of your own, do you think? Um, I, I think it was the, the fact that despite the fact that I had a lot of impact. I was the first employee or the first full-time employee of this company. It was a startup company. And I had a lot of impact. I managed the R&D team. I always felt that I want to do it uh, my own way and that I would do uh, things a bit differently. So again, it doesn't mean that you don't have impact. You can be an employee of a company and have a lot of impact, sometimes more than the founders. Uh, even find it uh, Firebox where in some areas, we have very talented people, uh, senior or junior, that have a lot of impact on the business. But eventually, I wanted to bring my own values and I wanted to be my own, own culture. And if you get lucky, you actually find yourself in a company that really fits uh, what you believe in. But I feel that the best way to do it is actually to bring my own values and uh, kind of the way I want to uh, do things to, uh, to the business. Uh, the, the best way to do it is basically building something on your own. Did you have uh, something that you wanted to build or was this more a concept that you want to embark on your own journey? So it was more of a concept. Uh, Side by side with that, I did have a lot of ideas and 
of, of things that I want to build. And it started actually when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old. I, I uh, started coding uh, in a very young age, like as I said, when I was uh, already I think, uh, 11 years old. I uh, learned uh, by myself to code in uh, Pascal, C++, Assembly. Um, in 1996, when JavaScript uh, emerged, I immediately uh, taught myself how to build websites. And I was always in this mindset that uh, I want to build stuff. Uh, I consider myself as a builder. So naturally, when I was employed by, by, by a company, I always had this uh, kind of things that I wanted to build that I couldn't do it in this framework because it was it was really outside the things that uh, uh, were like the, the, the market that we operated at. Uh, but uh, conceptually, I, I felt like I want to build my own things from scratch. I want to hire my own, my own people. I want to come up with my own ideas. I want to bring my own value. This was kind of the main motivation there. We're excited to be collaborating with the Israeli website CTEC, owned by Kalkalist, Israel's leading business newspaper. CTEC is the gateway of the Israeli high-tech to the tech world and vice versa. If you're not already a regular reader, we strongly recommend that you check out kalkalistech.com, C-A-L-C-A-L-I-S-T-E-C-H.com, to stay up to date on all high-impact stories from the Israeli tech scene. And what you said you wanted to do things your way. Why is that? What is so good about your way? It's, it's not that it's better, by the way. Uh, I think that uh, there are things that I do better, but there are things that I do worse. It was, it was more that I want to do it my, my own way because uh, I felt that uh, it would be just much more fun for me, just, just m- much more enjoyable to build this environment where uh, basically you bring uh, your own stuff, right? Like, you know, you decide what kind of people you want to work with and you decide what kind of... Uh, Uh, values are important to you. Uh, there are companies that uh, appreciate more things like work-life balance. There are uh, companies that want to grow faster. For instance, I can the first company that uh, I was at, uh, they had uh, this uh, amazing rule where uh, you couldn't find anyone at the office after 6 p.m. The founder said, I'm, I'm going to leave now and I'm going to spend time with my uh, kids for the next uh, few hours. Um, and it's amazing. I think it's amazing, right, to, to have these uh, this kind of uh, roles, but it wasn't uh, suitable for me. I told them, actually, what I want to do is, is to build something that grows very fast. Uh, they were more into the bootstrapping uh, mindset. And I told them, no, actually, I want to uh, grow this company very fast. And the, the best way to do that is to raise uh, money from uh, investors. You need to uh, give up some of your uh, shares. And, and grow fast. So there are a lot of these nuances and little things that uh, you want to do your own way. And uh, this was uh, basically what led me to the decision of uh, building my own startup. And what did you decide to build? So I had a very long journey of uh, ideation and, and I looked at a lot of different markets uh, back in a... Uh, In 2010, uh, the market that I looked at uh, was actually offline merchants and uh, kind of brick-and-mortar uh, stores, and I thought how to improve the experience there. And, and then in uh, 2012, this was my first real startup experience in a way, where, where I managed to raise uh, money from investors, and it was a journey of uh, four years. I uh, focused on solar energy. And this was after a decade that I uh, actually what I focused on was mostly cybersecurity. And then I uh, said, okay, I'm going to shift to a completely different uh, type of uh, 
market and I also wanted to do good, right? Like, you know, one of the things that I uh, told myself is that uh, I want to focus on something that uh, is, is really doing uh, uh, doing good for kind of for humanity. And I decided to focus on uh, renewable energy. But this was not your first startup, right? Uh, it was my first uh, well-funded startup in a way, um, but it wasn't my first attempt to build something. I think that I had around uh, three attempts before uh, this journey of uh, uh, meeting your or, or finding your uh, co-founder, starting to build something, to validate something. I had this kind of process for, I think, at least four or five times in the last uh, 13 years. And what went wrong with the previous ones? Uh, wow, everything. Uh, I think that uh, the first uh, thing was actually around market validation. This is uh, something that I think I didn't do uh, well in most of the attempts. This was kind of the main conclusion that I came uh, to the Fireblocks uh, journey with, that uh, you need to do a very proper market validation before you start building something. But I think that uh, in some cases, we just didn't have uh, uh, the best idea. In some cases, after a while, I found out that these are not the people that I actually want to spend uh, kind of to partner with for the next uh, uh, few years in my life. Like you know, Some of them were basically good friends of mine that I really like enjoying going to and, and uh, going to a bar with and, and uh, have beer with, but these weren't were the right people to build something with. How did you know that they weren't the right people? In retrospect, I think it was something very intuitive. Like it re- it's something that I really felt uh, kind of deep in my heart. It wasn't something very analytical. It- it's just a feeling like, you know, you carry yourself, like, you know, with this feeling, if these are the right people. I, I always like to compare it to actually to dating, right? Like, you know, it's uh, not something that you can rationalize. There is some kind of a feeling that you have, whether these are the people that you want to spend the next uh, years of your life with and uh, you know you're going to spend more time with them than with your partner in life right like you know with your girlfriend or your wife and it's people that you need to feel very comfortable with i think that in many cases uh, what i found out is that it needs to be people that are a bit similar to you but also complementary in a way that they you feel like they complement you and they they bring to the table something that you don't bring and people that you trust and they share pretty much the same values as a uh, you are, it's a journey. But I think that uh, after already a few months, you can really sense if these are the, the people that you want to spend uh, kind of your entrepreneurial life with. But what do you do? You're a few months in, you're invested, and it doesn't have to be money, but overall invested with time and efforts. What do you do a few months in? You realize that some of the people you're working with are not really the people you want to be running forward with. Uh, so uh, you break up with them, like, you know, professionally, right? Like, you know, they can still be your, uh, like, you know, good friends of yours. And I did that. Like, you know, I remember a couple of times it was hard. It was, it's like really breaking up from your, uh, from your, uh, kind of your partner or girlfriend. I, I came to them and it wasn't like I told them um, that I don't want to uh, be with them or don't want to continue this journey with them. I was just very transparent with them. And basically, I reflected to them what I was thinking. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a very blunt person uh, in my nature, uh, especially with people that are very close to me. Sometimes it can be offending, you know, <laughs> offensive, but uh, I, I basically told them, look, I, I'm not sure that uh, we're kind of sharing the same uh, ideas or that... Uh, and in most cases, you, you could find out that they actually feel the same, right? Like, you know, it's usually it's... Uh, 
it's neutral, so it uh, makes it uh, uh, easier. If you are already vested and you already have a good idea, uh, it's it's a bit harder. But I did it. Like, you know, I think it's the right thing to do eventually. Like, you know, otherwise you can find yourself spending years of your life with uh, the wrong feelings. But then, what do you do? You break up with the startup as well. So, uh, in in one of the times, it was basically I, I continued myself without uh, my my partner. Um, shortly after, I found out that also the idea itself is not very good. Um, in in uh, another case, actually, this is uh, the last one before Firebox. Uh, I, uh, I I basically I, I was doing something, uh, kind of uh, building something with uh, with my co-founder for all, more than a year, and at some point, uh, basically, it was kind of both breaking the partnership between us but also uh, breaking the idea in a way like breaking the entire uh, venture that we had uh, i decided to kind of uh, eventually what, what you find out is that uh, sometimes there is this coupling between the type of idea that uh, you bring and and the uh, the co-founder the part that the person or the team that you partner with and then uh, usually you know it just goes together like you know you can find yourself like you know basically breaking uh, the entire package like you know the uh, partnership and and the and the idea but it doesn't have to be this way so there were a few such uh, attempts that didn't go right and then you decided to start an impact driven venture and that you decided you're going to focus on and also raise money for and then what so uh, I, I team up with uh, two co-founders it was back in uh, 2012. Uh, we managed to raise uh, our seed round, uh, $1 million. Uh, to make a long story short, we were running it for uh, more than four years. Um, the, the concept there was basically we, we had this very ambitious idea of building a decentralized energy company. It was a kind of like a Airbnb for solar energy, where basically what we the, the idea was to match solar roof owners with people that want to buy uh, green solar energy. And we, what we found out is that there are so many obstacles in the way that uh, it requires uh, much more resources than uh, what we're uh, anticipating uh, in day one, uh, that there are a lot of uh, kind of regulatory challenges that uh, we need to, um, to work around. And that we also, like, you know, we found ourselves building a consumer brand uh, here from Israel, from for the American market, right? Like, you know, it was uh, we were focusing on the U.S. market, and it was we found out that, like, you know, only in retrospect that we don't have any clue on what the U.S. market needs. And I think that one of the things that uh, occurred to me after uh, raising uh, the first round, like the seed round, is that. When you start a company, usually the first thing that you uh, most people focus on is actually ra- raising money. And raising money is important. Like, you know, it's an oxygen for the company. Uh, you can't uh, build stuff usually without raising money un- un- unless you are very hands-on. Uh, you can't hire employees. You can't uh, pay to your lawyers to do all the legal work around it without uh, raising money. And a lot of people are just trying to optimize for that. But actually, this is, I wouldn't say that it's easy. It would uh, be arrogant uh, for me to say that it's easy, but uh, it, it's not the thing, like it's just a means to an end. This is not the thing that you need to optimize for. 
And actually, uh, once you raise a round and you have money in the bank, uh, then things become, start becoming uh, actually more complicated. Uh, the clock really starts ticking when you raise your first round and uh, when you have money in the bank, because then you have investors and you have a board and you can tell your board, I'm going to take this money and I'm going to start ideating things and I'm going to explore them for the next 10 years, right? Like, you know, they have a certain uh, model, kind of a financial model, where they tell you, no, we need you to spend this money and we need you to spend it in the next 18 months and you need to be able to grow uh, 3x, 4x by that time and start uh, showing that you have uh, revenues and and the, the clock starts ticking. So you better actually do all the preliminary work of validating your idea with customers and making sure that you know what you want to build with before you raise your round. Because then, like, you know, once you raise the, the, your seed round and you have money in the bank, you can um, get uh, kind of uh, the things run in a much, much faster way, right? Really, like, are there investors out there? Or maybe this is about a decade ago, so maybe that was true then. But are there really any investors out there who would just invest millions or even a seed round without any validation, just in an idea? I think it, it exists, right? I, I think today, uh, I don't have enough data points, but I'm pretty sure if someone uh, comes today to investors and tell them a, a very good uh, story about uh, AI, uh, they would probably manage to raise at least a small uh, seed round and uh, get it started. I think that uh, more kind of sophisticated investors would probably ask for more. Uh, but uh, this is, I think, the, the kind of difference between uh, smart money and stupid money, right? Like, you know, you can find investors that eventually will invest in you uh, without uh, doing this uh, validation. Uh, 18 months ago, when the market was uh, crazy and everyone, uh, it was much easier to raise money, I'm pretty sure that there were a lot of uh, startups that uh, emerged without uh, a real validation and without an MVP. And by the way, an MVP is, uh, is, is not enough because you, you can build an, an MVP. The question is whether this MVP is really validated, right? You can think that it's, it's uh, an MVP. You can, uh, you know, it's uh, probably kind of the minimum version of the product that you want, whether it's viable and whether the market will really need it is something that you can... Um, validate only if you go to enough customers and eventually ask them like, you know, if they want to buy your product. Yeah, that makes sense. So what happened next? Yeah, so uh, we shut down the startup after, uh, as I said, after uh, four years. Uh, it was a very painful process. Like, you know, I disappointed a lot of people and disappointed myself, but I think that this was actually the easy, easier part. It's uh, disappointing your employees right like you know it's people that basically you sold a dream to you told them yeah you're going to join the most amazing uh, venture of your lifetime you're going to get all the financial benefits uh, at the end of it uh, you're going to spend probably much more time and, and work much harder than uh, in any other place that you worked uh, for before but with a lower salary and then you have your investors that uh, you kind of realize that you burned like you no know, their money. Some of them were uh, venture capital, right? Like and also in a way it's other people's money, but uh, some of them are, uh, are are angel investors. It's their own money that they put out of their pocket and invested in you. And then you feel like you disappointed them. And lastly, you disappoint also your family, right? Like you know, for a few years you. 
spend a lot of time, you work hard, you barely see them, and eventually you tell them, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a phase. At some point, uh, we're going to do this uh, amazing uh, exit and we're going to sell the company. Uh, and and what, by the way, a few months before we shut down the company, uh, we did get an offer, uh, kind of an initial offer, or uh, in retrospect, it wasn't really an offer. Like, you know, this is something that you realize. It was more of an intent by another company to uh, buy our company. It was it it would probably not be this kind of amazing uh, multi hundred million dollars uh, exit, but it was like it was probably good enough for us. Uh, but it didn't happen. Like you know, after around a, a couple of uh, months of uh, negotiating with them, uh, the CEO just uh, didn't respond to us anymore. Like you know, the CEO of the company that uh, flew all the way to our office to meet us uh, with the, the rest of the team and everything was uh, looked very promising. And eventually after a couple of months, they just stopped responding to us, like, you know, re- just stopped responding to our emails. And eventually uh, what we realized uh, after a while, uh, he left the company, his company, and they told us the story on his side. He didn't manage to get the, the board to approve it, uh, but uh, they didn't even have the kind of the uh, simple... Uh, decency to just get back to us and tell us no and and apparently it happens in business like you know when uh, people uh, are really interested in you like you know they're very nice to you but uh, at some point like you know where they uh, stop exploring interest like you know they just just stop uh, responding to you or interacting with you and so it was also disappointing in uh, more disappointing because we are already in this mindset that we're actually going to sell the company three months later we went to the board we told them look like you know we're going to shut down the company we feel like we don't have, uh, we're, we'll not be able to recover from 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 uh, uh, from the situation that we are uh, right now at, even if we raise uh, more money. And we think that the best decision is actually to shut the, the company down. And so, like, you know, it was disappointing everyone. And like you know, for a while, you feel like uh, you are uh, failing and that you, uh, you are a disappointment. And but I, I'm. Kind of a very analytical person. So first thing that I did was uh, to uh, re- reach out to our investors, at least to some of them, and I told them that I want to meet them uh, personally. Uh, now everything is kind of open, and you can uh, just uh, be very transparent with them, and they can be very transparent with you. And I asked them for feedback. I wasn't the CEO of the company. I was uh, kind of number two in the company. I was managing the product and engineering, uh, but still, like you know, they knew me. I had the sit in the board and I, I still had a very good relationship with them and I asked them like oh, can you give me feedback uh, I, I want to see what what I did wrong what we did wrong um, and it was actually very encouraging for me like they they uh, have a benchmark they know that most uh, starts up uh, fail and each of them gave me a slightly different uh, perspective of uh, what we did wrong and uh, how we I can do better next time what did you do wrong a lot of things. So the first thing was, as I said, that we didn't do a proper market validation. We managed to raise our seed round, uh, $1 million, uh, without really doing proper market validation. We built an, an MVP, uh, but really without checking whether the market uh, needs it. I think that the other thing was that uh, we weren't the best team to solve the problem that we were trying to solve. It was a B2C company. It started as a B2B company, and, and we pivoted to be a B2C company. I think that none of us really had experience with how to build a consumer business. It's not that you can't learn to build a consumer business, but I think that 
the mindset of all of us was more B2B. Like uh, my uh, co-founder, he was really into enterprise uh, sales, right? He really knew how to do top-down sales, to reach out to kind of the senior management in on, on the customer side. But we didn't really have any clue of how to go create a consumer brand and how to market uh, things for consumers. Uh, the third thing that uh, I think that we did uh, wrong was that um, we didn't really estimate the amount of effort and resources that it takes to really get our uh, uh, idea um, eventually scaling or uh, get to a point where we can uh, market it aggressively and that uh, we can uh, eventually reach uh, enough uh, markets. But I think these this were just three. I think like, you know, I had the list of uh, things that we did wrong, but I also had uh, some conclusions around what I want to do, right? Like, you know, I felt that uh, this wasn't really the type of thing that I want to work at. Uh, for instance, one of the things that, uh, or my, one of my conclusions or insights was that I, you can't really wake up every morning uh, just to this uh, long-term dream. Eventually, you need to enjoy your uh, day-to-day work. Um, like, this is something that I think that uh, everyone that uh, builds a startup uh, should know. There are uh, these uh, high moments where uh, you raise a round, where uh, you close a deal with a, with a customer and so on. But eventually, most of the time in between is, is, is your day job. Like, you know, it's really just going to, to work like uh, anyone else. So you, you have the founder title, but eventually you just work for, for a company, right? Like you work for a company, you have board seat, but you need to enjoy your day-to-day and, and everyone should ask themselves, like, you know, will you enjoy your day-to-day doing this thing that you are doing? And I found that I really enjoy more complex uh, technological uh, problem. And the type of startup that we uh, had back then wasn't very kind of a deep tech. It was more around marketing and it was really more around uh, building the best user experience, but with not many kind of tech uh, problems. So this was something that I was less attached to. Um, and this is uh, kind of one of the things that I wanted to fix with Firefox, uh, building a venture um, that, that is very kind of deep tech and, and have more complex technological problems to solve. But Fireblocks wasn't your next venture, was it? So it wasn't really my next venture. Um, actually, one of the things that uh, uh, happened to people after you raise money from investors is, and I found it with a lot of people, uh, if you are kind of traumatized by, uh, by your startup experience with investors, instead of uh, asking uh, yourself whether you did something wrong, uh, sometimes you say, yeah, you know, one of the problems were that actually I raised money from investors and investors forced me to do this and that. And then the next thing that uh, some people do, and this is what I did, I said, let's let's try a bootstrap. Like, you know, I'm going to try a bootstrap. I'm going to build something on my own without the uh, investors. Actually, shortly after, I, I realized that uh, it's even more difficult, right? Like, you know, because when you raise the money, you have, uh, you have more oxygen. You can hire uh, people that are better than you. And one of the things that actually you realize also is that you're not good at uh, everything. So one of the things that actually money allows you to do is to bring people that are better than you at uh, things that you you don't know how to do well. And I found myself like you know in this uh, kind of a glass ceiling where I started my uh, own venture. Actually, it was a pretty cool idea. I managed to validate it with uh, with customers. It was a, a marketing uh, automation tool, 
and we already got the purchase orders uh, from uh, some uh, from some customers um, and 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 then we wanted to kind of reach the next phase and, and then I realized that it's very hard for me to do it without uh, raising money and uh, then I uh, went to uh, to investors we started this uh, process and we got a term sheet and uh, I met the investor. Uh, it was a venture capital here in Israel, and we're, they were pretty shocked. And the reason why they were shocked is that uh, I went to the meeting, and I told them uh, they had the term sheet in their hand, and I told them, no, I'm not going to take your money because I don't believe in this idea anymore. So this was kind of the uh, first time that actually I, I, I declined a funding offering and it might sound crazy because it's really hard to raise money and like you know and uh, some people say like you know if you have money just take it but for me what i found out and this was based on my last experience is that if you are going to get this money you are probably going to spend the next few years of your life uh, uh, working on on this uh, thing and most likely you're going to be in a, what's called the valley of death. Like, you know, startups usually don't get uh, uh, closed immediately, right? Like, you know, most startups are in uh, this phase called the, the valley of death where you start your operations, you raise a, a certain amount of money, and maybe not enough money to uh, give you an endless uh, run rate, but it can uh, probably give you enough money for uh, a year, two years. And then you don't manage to get to the next phase, which is to generate revenues. And then this was the thing that I was mostly afraid of because I felt that I'm going to take this money and I'm going to be in this uh, value on death. And I need to explain again to my investors and to the employees and to my uh, partner in life uh, a couple of years later uh, why uh, I was doing this mistake again of like of uh, starting another. Why did you go to that meeting in the first place? Because you sort of initiated it. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I was already prepared for it. Like, you know, I already scheduled this meeting. And uh, a day before, I actually told my uh, founder, this is related to the story that I told before. This was the kind of the, my last uh, uh, breakup uh, before founding Fireblocks. I basically, I called uh, my partner and I told him, look, like, you know, I'm not going to uh, take money from, uh, from, from uh, this uh, investor. And I don't believe in this uh, idea anymore. And he told me, look, like, you know, the right thing to do is like, oh, you already scheduled the meeting with us. Let's go to the meeting and just tell him that uh, we're not uh, going to work on that anymore. And I told him, you can do it with, like, you know, by, by yourself. Like, you know, why do you need me? And he told me, like, you know, it's all coupled together. Like, you know, the idea and us are, like, you know, it's kind of, uh, we're married together because I think that we were the best team to actually execute this idea. And I told him, like, it might be right. But I just don't believe in this idea anymore. And the first thing we, that we did was to, uh, to, to basically give us this money. The next thing that we did was actually to break up because I think that one of the things that uh, we both realize is that it's not just about the idea. It's actually between our partnership and the fact that maybe we don't want to spend the next uh, years of our life uh, working together. Uh, something that I, I, I didn't uh, mention is actually that we hired our first employee. Uh, a couple of weeks before and then we told this uh, employee like actually you can take the idea if you believe in it and just uh, execute it and he was uh, very enthusiastic to do that but actually uh, a week later he told us uh, that uh, he doesn't want to go for it and he, he was disappointed he was like you know after uh, things kind of uh, after he managed to digest this entire thing he told us look like you know actually you sold me this 
amazing idea just a few weeks ago. And now you are telling me that you don't believe in it anymore. And I told him, look, I can swear to God that just a few weeks ago, this looked to me like the best idea uh, in the world. And now it's actually not, uh, I don't believe in it anymore. It happens. And I wanted to do it now. And I don't want to tell it to you in a, in a year from now. So I'm doing it now and I'm doing everyone a favor or just uh, kind of uh, shutting it down now. You have a lot of difficult conversations. Like, how are you so good at difficult conversations? It sounds like you do a lot of breakups and disappointments. Well, what is the key factors? Give me like three good good ideas to do those difficult uh, conversations. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that I had so many of them, right? Like, you know, I experienced, I think, like, you know, uh, maybe two times, right? Uh, in a way that is very, very challenging. Like, you know, this was the second time. The last time was in uh, 2011. We have the employee, we have the investors, we have the partners, okay? We have, and we have this in three different, uh, like in this conversation, three different companies. Uh, but by the way, this is, it's like, it's a, it's a really good skill set, right? There's no way to, you know, not be the bad guy when something goes wrong. So like, what, what, what are like the secrets to that? Yeah, so I think first of all, it's to be very direct and very transparent. Like, you know, you're not, you don't need to sugarcoat it. You just need to express really what you, you feel and to be very genuine. I think this is uh, one thing. Uh, the other is that I think that uh, the most difficult conversation was actually with the employee, uh, with my co-founder. Actually, he started another venture a few months later and managed to raise a, a very big round. Uh, so he called me and said, like, you know, actually, you did a favor for uh, for both of us. But during that time, yeah, like, you know, it was uh, it was hard. Like, you know, I had uh, this very emotional uh, conversation with him, and I was very really like, you know very transparent with him i told him like you know yeah like you know you're a like you know uh, you're a very, very good friend like you know i really enjoy uh spending time with you outside work uh, i think like you know we are both uh, very successful uh kind of we have a, uh, a chance to do very successful things it's just that i feel that it's not going to be uh, together and i i think that the experience uh told me or showed me that uh, that uh, people like you know maybe like you know the first reaction might be not uh, always uh, uh, the kind of the, the the most the easiest one but i think that uh, in rich respect most people really appreciate it with the investor uh, he was shocked right because like you know he wasn't really uh, used to getting people telling that uh, they they don't take the, his money but actually he also called me uh, around a month later and he told me, I want to thank you uh, for not taking my money. Like, you know, you probably did the best decision in the world. So I think that most people just appreciate it in retrospect and not uh, immediately. Uh, this is kind of part of the comfort that I have. But I think that you need to be very emotion- emotional. You need to be very empathic and, and, and knowing that like, you know, my, people might take it hard. And Idan, where on your timeline was your involvement with C4 that you helped get acquired by Elbit? Yeah, so I, I uh, worked for uh, C4 Security between uh, 2008 to 2012. Uh, it uh, was also a very interesting journey because I worked for a bootstrap. I think that one of the things that I learned there is uh, how to uh, run uh, a business with very limited resources. We had very limited resources. We didn't raise uh, any money from investors. I wasn't the founder. I was a founding team member. I was the first employee, but I was part of the executive team. 
And a big part of the conversation was actually around of how we managed to get this uh, business running uh, w- without uh, ever raising uh, money from investors. This, this was kind of the mindset of the, the founders. Um, and, and in 2011, we got acquired by Elbit. Uh, I was there for uh, a short uh, a short time, like you know, basically just uh, for my uh, initial retention period for uh, around a year. And then after a year, I left. Like you know, I actually I put uh, aside uh, some of my uh, retention bonus. And the reason for that was that uh, I didn't really want to work for a uh, big corporate. Like you know, I actually if already a few years before I realized that I want to build something on my own. And then working for a corporate, it might be really amazing for for a lot of people, right? Like you know, it, it's uh, really comfortable uh, working for uh, a large company and. It, you don't really have to deal with uh, all of the things that uh, we had to deal with, which is like, you know, how do we fund the, the next quarter and uh, and so on. Uh, but it wasn't for me. And, and I decided uh, actually to quit like, you know, after uh, around a year uh, working for uh, for Elbit. Right. And then with Fireblocks, where do you, do you feel like you're now, based on all your experience, basically connecting the dots and that you're in the right place? Yeah, so I, I think you know, the, the journey that I had uh, gave me uh, so many different uh, conclusions and insights that eventually I gathered all of them into this uh, uh, point of, uh, of of building fireblocks, right? So all the conclusions around what I want to do and around the values that I want to give and how to build a startup the right way, what the sequence should be, eventually led me to uh, where we are today. And it's not that we're not uh, making mistakes. We're doing mistakes all the time, naturally. But at least I know that personally I'm not, or hope that I'm not making the same mistakes that uh, I did the uh, last times. And what would you say your superpower is? So I, I would say uh, you know, a superpower might be really an overstatement, right? Like I'm <laughs> human being. But I think that uh, one of the things, one of the traits that I have is that I'm very adaptive. I'm very flexible. I can adapt to new situations, and even when you just think about the journey of Fireblocks, uh, the I still carry pretty much the same title that I had from day one, uh, but it's a completely different role. Like being a CTO or a CPO of a company uh, uh, in an early stage, when you have just uh, ten employees in the company, like you know, just uh, ten people, and you don't have product managers, is very different from running a six hundred plus. Uh, People company and uh, when you have a, a global operation with a large uh, customer base and you need to be very adaptive because you need to reinvent your role in the company uh, pretty much all the time and every quarter it just looks uh, very different uh, i think that the other thing that uh, i'm pretty good at is uh, juggling uh, different uh, things like you know, i can uh, be a multitasker i can start my day with uh, uh, one thing and end uh, the day with uh, Another thing, and have uh, in between uh, hundreds of different things that I uh, I need to handle and to be able to zoom in and, uh, and and zoom out. So I think these are kind of the two traits that really help me in uh, my professional life, and I think also in my uh, personal life. And then, what would be your weakness, your kryptonite? Wow, I have so many weaknesses, uh, but actually, I, I use this platform as part of my therapy to try to fix one of my weaknesses. Uh, which is that I'm uh, considered a pretty critical person. 
I'm mostly self-critical. Right? You know, I criticize myself on a daily basis, but I think that I'm also critical to others. And when I tell people, look, like, you know, I, I know that I criticize you, but actually I'm self-critical. I, the person that I criticize the most is myself. It doesn't give them any comfort, right? Like, you know, they don't care about it. And I think that in some uh, areas, it actually helps uh, giving people feedback. But uh, the fact that I'm also very blunt, like this combination of being very critical and very blunt, doesn't always achieve uh, what I want uh, to achieve, right? Like, you know, just like I do it really just uh, from the mere fact that I want to improve things. But in some cases, uh, it, it just that I, I, I can become uh, too critical and I'm not working on that, like, you know, to kind of realize that uh, not everything is perfect and you can change people. And in some cases that I my criticism is not always right. Uh, so uh, they say that the first uh, kind of step uh, towards recovery, right, is uh, to admit that you have a problem, right? So here I say it uh, publicly that I have uh, this uh, problem that I'm trying to fix. So here you go. I'm not sure how much you truly want to fix it because it's also working for you, but I guess that's something Definitely. that you, you're sort of maybe um, at the critical. edges. Unsure. Yeah, maybe being critical. Maybe he's critical yeah. to himself. <laughs> right, I want to balance it and use it only when, uh, when it's appropriate. That's, uh, I would say, the right thing to do. Okay, that's fair. And what's your goal with Fireblocks? So uh, we are uh, now, uh, as I said, like you know, we are a 600 uh, plus people company. Uh, we have a pretty large customer base. We have uh, over uh, six, uh, 1,600 uh, customers worldwide. And we're uh, actually, things are, are, are working uh, very well for us. Uh, but uh, uh, we are now focusing on, on growing and expanding to uh, more use cases, more products. Uh, and more markets. Uh, one of the challenges that we have is how to scale the company, how to scale the culture, uh, how to scale the business, how to make sure that uh, although we are now a global company, uh, we manage to um, preserve the values that uh, we, we had from uh, day one. So all the things that are really around the growth of the company and the scale of the company uh, is, is our main focus. And in a few years from now, we hope that uh, you know, Firebooks will be a much, much larger company with uh, a lot more impact on the industry. Do you, do you hope to sell it one day? So I think that we're not anymore in this uh, state where we're actually able to sell the company. Right? Like on our last valuation was uh, $8 billion. So I don't think there are uh, too many acquirers for uh, this uh, kind of ballpark. Uh, but uh, I, I do expect uh, the company in uh, one day to, to become public. I think this is the, probably the more uh, reasonable path for us. Yeah, makes sense. Idan, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. We're, yeah, we're looking forward to hear about your IPO. And if someone wants to look him up? Where can people find you on LinkedIn? Anywhere else? Uh, they can find me on uh, mostly on uh, LinkedIn. I'm, I'm also on Twitter, but I think like, you know, the best uh, way to find me is really LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again. Bye-bye. That's all for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please consider subscribing to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Also, if you have a moment, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on the platform you're listening to. This will help others find our show. And as always, if you know anyone who you think would enjoy our podcast, please share it with them. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back as usual on the first of the month. Real life superpowers. Up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have.
technology. Real. Live. Superpowers. 